Well, it is indeed a great privilege to be with you once again. And it is so encouraging to know that John Simon uh, is coming here. I trust that your experience these last few months have caused you to appreciate the fact of a consistent ministry uh, by a pastor who is called uh, to proclaim God's word. There's something to be said for that. Uh, I know the Lord blesses uh, his word wherever it goes out and whenever it goes out, but there is a great benefit to having uh, someone here who consistently brings uh, God's word. So we rejoice with you and pray that God will bless you abundantly as John comes here for these months. Well, with that, I would ask you to uh, turn in your scriptures to John chapter 3, rather familiar uh, passage in God's word. John chapter 3, which is the uh, encounter that the Lord Jesus Christ had with uh, Nicodemus. Most of your Bibles will have uh, divisions uh, in the chapter. We'll be going uh, slightly beyond the division that is in most of your Bibles. We'll be reading through verse 18. Here then... The Word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have se- to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except him who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name 
of the only Son of God. May God add his blessing to his word. Let's pray uh, to him and ask him for that blessing. We thank you, our gracious Father, for your goodness, for your kindness, and we do ask of you that you would be pleased to open uh, your word here to us. We thank you for your eternal word and pray that as you uh, give it out to us here this morning, that you would be gracious and you would answer our prayer. We would see Jesus. And we ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ alone. Amen. The passage that is here uh, before us this morning is one of the most important passages of Scripture that gets at the question, how may I be right with God? How may I get to heaven? Who would have thought that a man like Nicodemus a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, would have to come to Jesus under cover of darkness to meet with him. We don't know exactly what was on the mind of Nicodemus as he came to uh, meet with Jesus, but it is important for us to understand the reason why John wrote this gospel. You go all the way to John chapter 21, I believe it is. He says, there's these things I've written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in his name. So then we have to conclude that everything that we are reading in the Gospel of John answers that particular uh, reason for writing the Gospel. And so John wrote this particular encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus, and we have to conclude that this portion here answers his desire that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we may have life in his name. Now, when I just started out a few minutes ago, I said that this is one of the most important passages in Scripture that gives to us some kind of an answer to this phenomenal question, how may I be right with God? This story is never, never to be forgotten. And it's here that God gives us what is absolutely fundamental and necessary to knowing Jesus Christ and knowing what it means to be a true Christian. And Jesus leaves us here this morning with no question as what is fundamentally necessary in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, it seems quite unusual when people go to the doctor uh, nowadays uh, and earlier as well, but they say, uh, doctor, we want to know exactly what is going on. We want to know the truth. And yet... When we come to things of eternal value, it's not unusual to find people just falling asleep, playing with their phones, having our minds somewhere else, when there's hardly a more important message 
that we could hear, a more important subject that we could hear addressed. So I want to bring us to three particular aspects of this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. Let me make the first point here and simply put it like this. We want to look at this man named Nicodemus. There are some phenomenal lessons uh, in here for us. Now, it's obvious that this visitor uh, who comes in the dark is also in the dark. There's a play on words that's happening here. John wants us to know there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. John wants us to know not only is it dark outside, but here's a man that's coming to Jesus that is in the dark himself. Here's a man who's in the Sanhedrin. This is a man who's looked upon by the Jews as a phenomenal Bible teacher, if you would. And he is the one who has all of the answers. It's obvious this man has been affected by Jesus. He probably doesn't want his position to be compromised, so he goes to Jesus when it's dark outside. And even though Jesus had not graduated from any of the schools of rabbinical teaching, Nicodemus addresses him, as you see in the text, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And so he probably calls him Rabbi out of convenience. But let's not be too hard on Nicodemus, because we have to give him credit. At least he came to hear from Jesus. That's more than what many people are willing to do today. They don't even want to hear from him. They may carry about some kind of a religious shell, but they never really sit down with Jesus to hear from him. We have to at least give him credit. Nicodemus, as you see in the text, has a compliment for Jesus And he acknowledges at least that he must be a prophet sent from God. We know that you are a teacher from come from God and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It seems that what Nicodemus is actually asking of Jesus in a roundabout way is, who are you? And Nicodemus gives Jesus a compliment. You see, that's how the conversation started. But have you ever been stopped by a policeman? And it kind of flashes through your mind, could I just make light talk with him? And when he comes up to the window and you roll down the window, he doesn't engage in slight talk with you. He has one question, doesn't he? I see your driver's license and your proof of insurance. And the tone of the conversation has absolutely changed. And the fleeting thought that you had about carrying on small talk with the policeman is gone. Jesus changes the tone of the conversation. Parents, uh, let me say something to the children here. Children, when mom or dad say to you, call you by your name and say, come here, I doubt 
I doubt you come to your parents and kind of saunter up to them and go, what's up? If you try it, mom and dad are probably going to say, um, I need to talk with you about your report card. You see, the whole tone of the conversation is going to change. If you meet with Jesus, dear ones, Jesus will never allow you to stay on a mere surface level. He's not interested in any kind of a religious compliment that he must be someone great and he must be sent from God. I spent about 20 years going uh, into the jail on Sunday afternoons and speak with prisoners. I can't tell you how many times the prisoners were wanting to get me caught up in the question of what do you think about the end times? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I learned to navigate around those questions and speak to them and say, there is a far more important question to deal with here today. And that is, what is your standing before God? You see, it's so easy to get caught up in, in, in other things that don't get down to the heart of the matter. Just think about putting a flashing sign out front here in the church and you would have a sign that would say, the answers to the end times are here. That would probably draw some attention, wouldn't it? But can you imagine putting a sign out front the answers to a right relationship with God. It probably wouldn't get quite as many visitors, if any. Yet, that's, the, that's what's going on here in this particular passage. I need to say to every one of us here that if you have these questions, Jesus is willing to hear from you. Let's not fault Nicodemus too hard. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's willing to receive Nicodemus, but he's not willing to receive him on some kind of a, of a, of a level that is a surface level. Dear ones, if you've never been to Jesus, I say to you here this morning, you are welcome to come. Even what you say isn't what he wants to talk about. You're welcome to come to him. You can come to him when no one else is around. Even today. See, Nicodemus is a religious man. He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's in the Sanhedrin. Let's learn from this. It's very possible to be religious without being regenerated. It's right here in bold-faced letters here before us, right in this very passage. Look around the world today. How often we get reminded that people are religious. That people get religion. I would just give you some names. Katie Holmes, 
Muhammad Ali, Christopher Reeve, Lisa Marie Presley. There's a host of people out there who say, I got religion. The last few days, of course, we've heard Muhammad Ali, the great. He got religion. People take refuge in a form of religion. Every false religion is rooted in performance. Every false religion is rooted in doing. Even in our circle, so to speak, even in this part of the country is known for a cultural Christianity. A person is moral. A person is nice. And people conclude, well, certainly they must be Christians. But Jesus has a word for every one of us here. His word is truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's no ambiguity about this. You must know the new birth by experience. It's not a matter of growing in knowledge, also, even though knowledge is a very important thing to have. But it's a matter of being born from above. That's the word that Jesus is using. You must be born from above. It's something that has to come to you. Which is why Jesus uses that phrase that I spoke to the children about. You must be born again. You didn't give yourself a birth. Your birth came about through natural generation, but you had nothing to do with it. The new birth is a renewal. It's being made new through the Spirit's work. I found something from J.C. Ryle. Some of you may know of J.C. Ryle. If you don't, you should read some of his books, some of his sermons. This is what he says. I couldn't say it any better. The change which our Lord here declares needful to salvation is evidently no slight or superficial one. It's not merely reformation or amendment or moral change or outward reformation of life. It is a thorough change of heart, will, and character. It is a resurrection It is a new creation. It is passing from death to life. It is the the implanting in our dead hearts of a new principle from above. It is the calling into existence of a new creature, creature, a new nature, new habits of life, new tastes, new desires, new appetites, new fears, new judgments, new opinions. All this and nothing less than this is implied when our Lord declares that all we need, that we all need a new birth. This change of heart is rendered absolutely necessary to salvation by the corrupt condition in which we are all, without exception, born. But let me pull the second Uh, item from our text here, and I would just simply call this the real issue. 
the real issue, you can see that Jesus gets down to the, the meat of the matter. To be right with God. It doesn't matter if you are Bill Gates. It doesn't matter if you are the poor person on the street corner panhandling. It doesn't matter what side of the spectrum or where you are in the spectrum. The one great question that has to be answered is what is my condition before God? So the whole issue, the whole issue is not what kind of a job am I going to have when I grow up? What kind of a man or a woman am I going to marry when I get older? How much money am I going to have? All of these things may be important, but they pale in comparison to this root issue. What if we die tonight? What if we die this afternoon? And we've never experienced a new birth. We've never come to genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And we've been satisfied with a mere form. Do you realize the devastating consequence of going through the motions, being religious, without being regenerated? It's sobering. But John has this here for us because he is looking out for our eternal good. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in his name you may have life in him. This is no joking matter. Jesus lays it out for Nicodemus. Nicodemus is absolutely puzzled. How can these things be? And Jesus says to him, No one has ascended into heaven except him who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What's the issue that Jesus is facing Nicodemus with? Nicodemus is being faced with his sin. The serpent that was hung up on the wilderness, up in the wilderness, so that the Israelites will look to the brazen serpent, was so that they might be delivered from death. They were bitten by the serpent. We've been bitten by the serpent. And Jesus points to that very incident. And he says, I am that serpent. I am the one who's going to be hung up. The whole issue is what to do with our sin. I've made the application several times in the, in the funerals that I've, that I've done. When I say, if you're going to die acceptably before God, you have to be as perfect as God is. You must have no sin to your account. And it always draws a question mark. We must have the imputed righteousness of Jesus credited to our account, put there by faith in Jesus. And Jesus is here coming to Nicodemus with his grace. There's a lot of people who will say, well, that's really cruel that Jesus had to die on a cross. How is it that God ever 
would put Jesus on a cross. Dear ones, there was no other way. He who was perfectly God, the Son of Man, had to come on our behalf as a human because it was as a human we sinned. And he had to be eternal so that when we believe on him, that believing would result in eternal life. And so Jesus is coming to Nicodemus with and in his grace. And he's facing Nicodemus with his natural condition. This is absolutely essential. This is what the Spirit of God does in true conversion. He faces us with our natural condition that we are unable to save ourselves. But as you saw, uh, what I did as I read uh, the particular passage, and that was to press on beyond uh, the normal heading that we are accustomed to. I believe that Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus included these closing verses from verse 16 to 18. It may have even gone further. And that Jesus here brings Nicodemus face to face with the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This was God's plan to make payment for sin. And dear ones, if we have never been faced with our own sin, or when we have gone out and evangelized and spoken to people about faith in Christ, and we don't address the issue of sin, we make four false disciples. We've got to deal with the issue. And when pastors, when churches, when well-meaning individuals say, ah, this is just too hard to deal with, they're dead wrong. Because if we are following Jesus for any other reason, then that my sin is pardoned by his gift to me. It's a false following. You can count on it. When there's trouble in a person's life and they've not followed Jesus for that reason, the possibility of apostatizing from the faith is extremely great because they followed Jesus for the wrong reasons. Our evangelism is all messed up if we don't address this particular issue. You see, it's God's grace that he came and made payment for our sin. We are brought face to face with the love of God in this passage. Now, rather than skipping over something which may be uncomfortable for us, this is given to us for our good. This is given to us by the grace of God. When we meet with Jesus, and we have a genuine meeting with Jesus, it's an overused term today, it's almost blasphemy, a come-to-Jesus moment. But this is a real come-to-Jesus moment. He tells us what we need to know, not necessarily what we want to know. He strips us bare of all our righteousness. 
When you've sung the song, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, have we sung it with all of our hearts? Do we genuinely sing this with meaning? Dear ones, apart from, li- apart from life in Christ, there is no life. The life that he gives is a renewing, an invigorating, a renewal of affections for his law, for his word. When you read in the Psalms, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. We begin to relate to it. We don't do it perfectly, but we can relate to it. So being born again is saying that God is willing to show mercy and he shows mercy to those who have absolutely nothing but their sin to bring. That's it. Before we leave here today, I ask you the obvious question. Are you Nicodemus? Is it your works that will bring you into favor with God? Jesus says to you, you must be born again. There must be a spiritual birth that is from above. And we read in our text, he's willing to give it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know this new birth by experience. Praise God for it. Press on in the faith. Press on in your walk with him. And recognize more and more that what was lost in the Garden of Eden has been regained as he's brought you to faith in Jesus Christ. May God add his blessing to his word. Let's pray. Thank you, our Father, for your word. We do ask of you that you would be pleased to teach us, even from this passage, of your amazing grace. Lord, use your word, we pray, for any who may be here this morning whose name might be Nicodemus. We do ask of you, do your spirit's work and give life where there is none now. Bring repentance, bring faith, to those who are your people, cause them to rejoice at your work. We ask you now that you'd go with us further throughout this day. Bless us. Keep us. Give that we may know you, whom to know is life eternal. For We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.